here in Midtown Manhattan begin roughly around 3 p.m. Tuesday afternoon. That's called the long weekend, 3 p.m. Tuesday. And uh, you can, you know, there's nobody here except the chickens now and us messing around with the chicken feed. Hey, we'd like to salute a man out in Milwaukee. Witnesses gasped in astonishment as a King Kong-like creature picked up a bicycle and threw it with a giant roar at a passing car. <laughs> oh, a giant King Kong-like creature in Milwaukee hurled a bicycle at a passing car. In county court yesterday, Leroy Gardner, 25, was fined $50 for disorderly conduct, unbecoming a man wearing a gorilla suit. Ein, zwei, drei! <laughs> we salute Leroy Gardner tonight and his King Kong complex. <laughs> hold it, hold it, hold it, I said! Hold it, reset that! Avec. <clears throat> hey, do you mind if I play my nose flute tonight, Marty? Friday night. What the heck? There's nobody listening. Nobody listens. You mind if I play my nose flute here, Marty? All right, set that up there, and let's start it again. Here we go. Wine, swine, swine. Chicken out. My God, the engineering department's falling out. I'm big. I'm playing with these guys. Come 
about you? <laughs> hey, hey, cut it out. Cut it out. The Barry Farber fan club is all there in the next room going, boo, boo, thumbs down. Boo, I'll boo you. That's right. What do you care? Somehow, you know, hey, do you realize that, that Milwaukee is going truly ape? Has anyone report? No, various cities have moments of total lunacy. And I would like to report that Milwaukee, that, that, uh, that isolated incident was not isolated. You know, with the guy with the King Kong suit throwing his, uh, throwing his bicycle. Did you hear the piece I just read? Guy in a King Kong suit? <laughs> well, Chris, you know, what's to prevent a guy today? The whole thing about our time is that you do your own thing. And most people are heavily influenced by movies. It is not very, no, it's not uncommon to walk down Greenwich Street and to meet... Oh, Richard the Lionhearted, a Mary Magdalene, a Joan of Arc, uh, three guys out of Gunsmoke. Uh, you know, everybody's playing a, a role, and yet I have not seen people really play the roles that they were truly affected by. So here's a guy with a King Kong suit throwing bicycles at cars. Now, I think this guy's doing it, you know? <laughs> Wait till somebody goes out and gets himself this plastic suit that his greatest hero when he was a kid was the thing from outer space. <laughs> has big flippers, you know, he comes into the fiend, John. <laughs> oh, well, what the hell. You know, uh, may I please, uh, we, we'd like to salute uh, uh, things that are happening in uh, Milwaukee. You know, New York is such a, such a, uh, such a puerile city, you know. I mean, for any of you who are sport fans, what is, what is the New York sports promotion consists of. It's a little kid stuff, you know, to give you a bath, bath day, ball day, autograph day, glove day, t-shirt day. It's all little kid stuff. I have to salute Milwaukee. Milwaukee has admits that there are such things as adults. So give me my uh, sportscaster. Uh, Spike McBullet is about to report. Good afternoon, sport fans. It's Spike McBullet reporting to you from the wall of sports. Hello, fans. Remember, it ain't how you play the game, it's whether you win or not. That is our slogan. Here, there, and everywhere from the world of sports, this is Spike McBullet. Tonight, saluting the city of Milwaukee with their famous team, the Milwaukee Brewers. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The verdict was clear-cut after the Brewers held their first 10-cent beer night two weeks ago. Beer drinking and not baseball is the number one pastime in a county stadium. Today, tomorrow, and as long as the kegs hold out. Instead of having bat day and ball day, they had beer day. The brewers shipped in 1,000 barrels of beer for the occasion, and most of it was consumed by a crowd of 47,922 people, the largest crowd that had arrived to see the Milwaukee Brewers play since they've been playing in Milwaukee. The beer flowed at 10 cents for a 10-ounce cup, and not many of them in attendance worried about the fact that Milwaukee was beaten by Oakland, as was expected, by the score of five to two. Actually, most people expected the score would be more like ten to ten, maybe ten to nine, or something like that. But anyway, it was a good ball game, and it was a lot of beer drunk. Surprisingly, only two fans wandered out on the field, but only for brief excursions. They were ignored. They quickly went back to their seats and resumed drinking. There were eighty portable bartenders dispensing the suds, but many fans did not even leave the vending stands beneath the stadium. They stood in line and did nothing but drink beer all night at 10 cents a glass. Complaints of long lines and orders of 50 to 100 cups were common. One guy ordered 142 cups. 
which he stood there and drank while the people cheered him on. Numerous fights broke out, but not of lasting duration since most of the fighters wanted to get back to beer drinking. Actually, the most appealing feature of the evening had nothing to do with beer or the ball game. It was Playboy Bunny Sharon Quinn of Chicago, who viewed the game in a low-cut, very low-cut, hot pantsuit outfit. She then, with bottles of beer in each hand, toured the stands and got more applause than any home run wallop. We salute Milwaukee, and it's beer night! Once again, this is Spike McBullock reporting to you from the Willis Points. Here, there, and everywhere. Remember, fans, it ain't how you play the game. It's whether you win or not. <laughs> how do you like my little sports thing? Isn't that great? Why do they have to put this stuff on my show? That transcribed Spike McBullock show. That ought to be on... So, you know... Good evening, sport fans. Well... <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I'll tell you... I mean, it's getting out of hand completely everywhere you look. I mean, uh, no, no, uh, lunacy is beginning to, to march forward. But lunacy has... No, lunacy. Thinking of starting a lunacy party. Come on, admit it, you know. Instead of pretending... Uh, <laughs> nothing sadder than a person who pretends that he's logical. Mm-hmm. We'd like to... Uh, Salute the British Army. One thing I've got to say, speaking of lunacy, it takes many forms. Here's one here that I think you'll enjoy. British troops have been ordered to salute the fairies on the Isle of Man. I'll just throw that out there. Would you please give me a little salute there? Any kind, anything you put on there is all right. That's all right. That's good. That's very good. That's good. Somewhere I hear the bells ringing. Yes, the whistles are blowing. It's time for all of us to get marching. Come on, pick up your gut there, Fred. Pull in your... Pull in your kidneys. Let's go. We're marching forward. Ever upward and onward goes man. Upward and onward we shall go. Go, Please, do you have a little 
Palisades ding-dong in there for us to give the people a little security, please. Palisades has a ride. Palisades has a fun. Sing along, gang. Come on. You all know this tune. Come on over. Show some dancing are free. So the parking so cheap. Come on over. Say it's like a good jersey. Come on. Palisades amusement park. Here's a good note. Right up close, my favorite cool note. <laughs> in the waves in the pool, so you'll come on. So come on over. Hey, Frank, if you need a change of scene, but just can't spare the time and the money to get away from it all, try a glorious one-day vacation at fabulous Palisades Amusement Park, home of the world's largest outdoor saltwater pool, 200 spectacular rides and attractions, plus the world's largest kiddie park. Some of them are over 40 years old, and I'm telling you, they're groovy. So get over there in that big orange and black bus from the 41st Street and 8th Avenue bus terminal and make it this weekend to Palisades Amusement Park. Palisades has a ride. Palisades That's the 41st and 8th Avenue bus terminal. Come on over. Show some dancing are free. So it's the parking. So, gee, come on. Come on over. Yeah. Palisades Amusement Park. Sprinkle thing. Yeah. Palisades Amusement Park. Sprinkle thing. And after dark. Right the sands are just cool in the waves. In the waves. In the pool. You'll have fun. Yeah, fun, fun. Fun seekers. Come on over. Yeah. What you don't do for to earn a living, ain't it sickening? This is W.O.R. New York. Speaking of sickening living. You can tell it's Friday. We don't care what... Hey, listen, I would like to salute Lloyd Carr. Tonight, we haven't uh, dealt with his case, and we'd like to salute him tonight. He finally did it. Lloyd Carr, a dining room manager of the Holiday Inn in Hillsborough Street in Charlotte, North Carolina, in Wake County District Court, he was just uh, acquitted on the charge of assaulting a female patron of the hotel's restaurant. Sylvia Ross of Rock Quarry Road, who signed the warrant against Carr, accused him of, quote, he grabbed me, pushed me, and knocked me to the floor. The case was uh, prosecuted by Raleigh attorney George Green, who had been retained by Miss Ross as a private prosecutor. According to testimony, Miss Ross had reserved a private dining room at the hotel for a group of friends. When the food was served, according to testimony, Miss Ross said the food was it's sour and told the management, get this out of here, get this out of here. Among the food items were, and we quote, meatballs dipped in sour wine. Carr was called, the manager, and he told Miss Ross that she would not have to pay for the food if it wasn't satisfactory, but added he'd have to close the dining room. Miss Ross testified that Carr stood, blocked the door to the dining room with his arms outstretched, and that when she started back to the room to get her purse and other belongings, Carr struck her and knocked off, and we quote, he knocked my wig off. Carr testified that he had his arms outstretched. He had blocked the doors to the dining room when Miss Ross came up from behind and bit him on the back of his arm. He testified he may have struck her with his arm, but it was a reflex action <laughs> when she bit him. Edward Carson, a North Carolina State University student who works part-time at the hotel, testified that he saw the teeth marks on the back of Carr's arm near the shoulder. Miss Ross denied from the witness stand that she bit Carr or that she used, and we quote here, extremely vulgar language to describe the food. Green suggested through examination of Carson that Carr had taken his false teeth out and had bit himself on the back of the arm and thus made the teeth marks. However, that fell down since there was no evidence that Carr, who was in his very early 20s, wore dentures. 
winding up a lengthy argument to Judge George Basin, Green said, Your Honor, if you can believe that this young lady would come up behind this man and bite him in the back like a common dog, then you will find that defendant guilty. There's a long pregnant pause. The judge then said, Not guilty. You don't see great cases like that on Perry Mason, do you? You know, where she threw the meatballs and the wine on the floor and used vulgar language to describe the meatballs? <laughs> Listen, I want to tell you. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the lunacy, don't think for a minute. You know, people tend to think that, uh, that lunacy is, uh, is a one, you know, it's an American thing. We, we tend to believe this. Not so. We do not have a, a stranglehold on it. I repeat... British troops have been ordered to salute the fairies on the Isle of Man. Now, you know, I mean, if, can you imagine a bunch of guys in the 3162nd Signal Air Warning Battalion, Company K, being forced to salute the fairies on the Isle of Man? It says, Pixies and elves live under a bridge on the road between Douglas and Castletown, according to tradition. On the island off the west coast of England, where this tradition exists, when the local folk cross the bridge... They raise their hats to the little people. Well, you never know, you know. And so uh, the army, the British army, decided that the 500 soldiers of the 71st Scottish Engineering Regiment... Friends, I don't know whether you've ever seen a Scottish Engineering Regiment. These guys, next to a group of Gurkha Lancers, have to be some of the toughest soldiers that ever came down the pike. <laughs> they are tough. Well, to begin with, by definition, an engineering outfit is a tough outfit. You know what an engineering outfit does? It doesn't sit around and play records, you know. Oh, no. Listen, I'll tell you, an engineering outfit has got nothing but guys with knobby knees, great craggy jaws, prognathous jaws, sloping foreheads of the true Neanderthal, tiny steel BBs which they use for eyes. The 71st Scottish Engineering Regiment is now saluting the ferries when it goes back and forth over the bridge. Can you imagine? These guys all sitting around, see, in the barracks. When in comes a corporal. And he says, Hey, you seen what that got down on that damn bulletin board now? You seen what the old man laid on us this time? And one of the guys said, what, what, so what's, what's biting you, Jock? What got in a fight? Yeah, what, what, we're fighting men, right? Jock says, well, uh, well, in the mouth speaking. And the corporal's still standing there, purple face, you know, his kilts are curling in anger. His knobby knees and his great blue jaw is hanging down. He's, you know what we're going to be starting to do tomorrow morning? You wouldn't guess. And the other guy said, well, come on, Jock, out with it. We ain't got all the time. Don't chew your cabbage all the night. I want to hear what you got to say. Tomorrow morning, starting at 0800, we're going to start saluting the ferries. Our 71st Scottish Engineering Regiment is going to go every morning over the bridge and salute elves and ferries. Dead silence in the barracks. Just another obscenity heaped on the army. I just would love to have been there when that announcement was made at a company formation. 
Imagine this elegant uh, Scottish 71st Regiment Major. You know how they're very sharp soldiers. Hey, one of my favorite movies, if you ever get a chance to see it on television, watch it. Fantastic acting job, too. Magnificent performance. Tunes of Glory. With Alec Guinness. Tremendous movie. And it was made from a beautiful novel, The Tunes of Glory. And uh, Guinness plays a colonel in a Scottish regiment. If you want to see what the Scottish regiments are like, man. And you can just see this moment, you know, these guys are told to salute the fairies. You know, that reminds me, everybody's got these strange... And, and in your memory, everybody has them. Even if you're a little kid, you have a strange, one surreal memory that stands out among thousands of other memories. It was so surreal that you hardly ever remember it because it's so out of the beat and tempo of your life. I remember the time... I'm in this... I'm going to tell you an army story that's very much like this. You want to hear an army story? Okay. I'm in this company, see? Company K. And we, we... You know, this company's been together, like, for already now, at this point, two years. Shipped from hell and gone and from pillar to post. And uh, we spent about, oh, about a year and a half in the middle of this steaming jungle where the temperature never got much below 100 degrees. And mosquitoes. My God, the mosquitoes. I mean, if you think you've seen... Listen, if you think you live over in Jersey, you've seen mosquitoes. <laughs> listen, that's primary training over there. That's a primary training field, Jersey, for the real mosquitoes, which you meet in certain jungle areas. And they work in tandem. They, they actually have flight formations. You know, it's hard to believe, but the, but the mosquitoes are so well organized that you can tell when one shift goes on duty and another shift leaves. They don't work steady, you know. The day shift works, and you can see them changing the guard, you know, and the night shift comes out of the swamp. Great black V-shaped cloud. They come moving out. And all the daytime mosquitoes, you know, kind of tired. They've been working all day. And uh, they go back in a ragged formation into the swamp to get a little sleep over the night so they could be ready for the morning shift. And uh, it was that kind of an outfit. Hard, bitter, angry. We've been fighting strange, incomprehensible battles for years. Like, uh, well, first of all, we couldn't figure out what we were doing. Now, most people, most people are in whatever company you work for. You, you can have a vague idea of what it's supposed to do. It sells, uh, you know, it sells uh, rubber mice. And, uh, you, you know, you know that you're in the rubber mouse business. And every day you get on and you can see them packing up the rubber mice and sending them off where, you know, where the people are buying rubber mice. And you have a feeling, at least, that, uh, that you're doing something. You're contributing rubber mice to a world which is waiting out there, panning for more rubber mice. And, uh, you know, well, <laughs> this was ostensibly a radar outfit. And with this gigantic piece of equipment, this piece of equipment really was half the size of Times Square. Tremendous. It had all kinds of boxes that hummed and meters that went off and on and things that clicked and digital readout counters and variacs and all kinds of fantastic pieces of stuff hanging on it, but it didn't work. It hummed a lot, but it never picked up anything. It never got a, a decent pip of any type. We used to fake it. I remember one time, a thousand yards away, we had a system for tuning the antenna, where I would provide a fake, at least the the... the the, the squad that I was in was providing a fake pip. You know what a radar pip is, see? Well, we had a signal generator. 
Uh, and it would send out a signal, see? And our radar set was supposed to pick up the pip, see? And they were going to tune up the antennas. So I'm out there with the signal generator. I got it all hooked up, and the earphones are on, and a uh, thousand yards of wire all the way back to the radar set. And the guy says, turn it on. I hear, well, you turn it on. I said, it is on. He said, well, turn it up. I said, well, it is up. It's all the way up. I can't get no more out of it. Then I heard a muffled series of oaths which I cannot repeat on the radio because radio hasn't totally grown up yet, although we have. <laughs> uh, I hear a series of muffled oaths, unprintable oaths, special army oaths. Actually, it's only one oath that is used in infinite numbers of variations. It can be used as a verb, as a noun. I've even heard that oath used as a comma. Uh, it can be used in almost... I've... <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Huh? Well, you can do it. I mean, you can try it if you get good at it. So I'm, I'm with the cans on there, and I says, well, what are we going to do? I says, well, they're, they're, they're coming over to inspect this thing in about an hour. He says, well, I'm going to fake it. So I hear him down there faking the chart, see, that they got this big pip. and uh, <laughs> So that stuff never worked. Well, all right, that's the kind of outfit I was in. You, 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 you follow the situation. Well, one day, we are shipped to Fort Monmouth inexplicably. Just briefly. We were only going to be there, see, for about three days. We were on our way to another hellhole, see, so uh, here we are at Fort Monmouth. Well, <laughs> here's this grizzled outfit. <laughs> and, and, I mean, it was a veteran outfit. And we're in with a whole other battalion of other veteran types. They've been in places like a Karachi. Uh, you, know, they, they, you know, I saw one complete platoon that spent its entire Sunday morning lying in bed, shuddering from dengue fever. So it's a, you know, this is a real tough crowd. So we all arrived there. This is Fort Monmouth, right over here in Jersey. See, Jersey is, is, is a hotbed of nuttiness. I don't know what it is about the Jersey littoral that produces it, but and this is one of the reasons why I enjoy going to Jersey. It's like visiting Alice in, you know, it's like visiting Wonderland once in a while. Wouldn't you like to visit Oz? Well, look, a trip on Route 22 is, is there's nothing in Oz that comes anywhere near seeing that flagship come out of the twilight at you, you know, trailing Denison clothiers behind it. And three Dairy Queens, you know, like a like an escort all around it, <laughs> like a convoy of slob art. And so you travel up and down Twenty Two. You see it, you know. So I I didn't know much about Jersey at that time, being from the Great Midwest. And the things have a certain logic out there. When you're standing in the middle of a corn field, you know, year in and year out, there's a certain logic to corn fields. I mean, what with locusts and stuff and bull weevils and things, you get, you know, there's a certain uh, natural logic. But Jersey has a, has, a, has a lunacy of its own. So this company arrives at Monmouth. We didn't know what we were in, you know. We were in the Jersey, the Jersey mystique. So uh, Monday morning breaks sharp and clear. It was a hot, hot Monday. You know how it can get over there, you know, in Jersey. Hotter than uh, the hinges of hell, you know, really hot. And it's... Uh, about 7 o'clock in the morning, we fall out of the barracks. And we're about to ship, you know, in two days, so we don't really care much. We're not relating to this place. We're just passing through. It's like, you know, it's like you don't really relate to the Howard Johnson that you're in. It's, a, it's one of an endless number of Howard Johnsons you've been in, you know? You don't sit there and study the worn marks around the water cooler. You know, this is my Howard Johnson. It's, it's, a, it's just part of a temporary life. So we come falling out of the barracks, one of a million barracks we've been living in before, not knowing we are about to get one of the nuttiest orders we've ever gotten. It was, you know, it's like that jock there with his... You could already see that Scottish battalion, couldn't you? 
Could you see Jock? What? You know what? Did you see what they got in the bulletin board now? You know what they laid on us now? You can see Jock there, can't you? You see his buddy looking. Oh, well, call out, Jock. Tell us what and quit chewing your cabbage. We want to hear what you got to say. Quit beating around a bush. Well, you can see those two guys. Well, we fell out. I'm standing there. My fatigues. You know, resting easy on the balls of my feet. And this unknown sergeant is standing out in front of our company next to Kowalski. He's the sergeant from the post. There's a thing called the cadre. The cadre is the establishment. And uh, he's unknown. He's got a sharp uniform. And he walks around out in front of our outfit and says the following statement. I will paraphrase him. He was from New York. So look, you guys, going to have a formation. Going to be a regimental formation of the 15th Signal Regiment. You are part of that for the next three days. You're going to fall out. Going to fall out at 1300 this afternoon. General's wife has written the Signal Corps theme song. Now, all you know that every other outfit's got a song, like Off We Go, Into the Wild Blue Yonder. That's the Air Force, right? And uh, when them caissons go rolling along, that's the artillery, right? Any of you guys ever heard a Signal Corps song? No. Signal Corps don't have no song. And that's why we don't have no morale in this outfit. Every outfit's got a song, it's got good morale. You see them guys from the Air Corps marching along down there? On the other side of an area B, them guys that are training in the teletype school, what do they do? They sing, off we go, into the wild blue yanta, rising high in the sky. That gives them morale. I don't hear no Signal Corps guy singing no Signal Corps song. So the general's wife has written the Signal Corps forever. At 1300 today, we will have a regimental battalion. We will perform the Signal Corps song. The general's wife will direct us. She will conduct. She has written the music. She is a musician. Teaches the piano over in Shrewsbury, Long Island. I want you to take them words that we're passing out to you now. I want you to take them back to the barracks, and I want you to loin them. And this afternoon, when the signal corps song is sung for the first time, and you guys have the honor of being the first ones to sing it, I want to hear that song come out good. I want to hear all them words. Any questions? All right, Corporal, pass out the words. The next thing I know, I've got a mimeograph sheet in my hand that says the Signal Corps forever on the top of it. And it's the Signal Corps pep song. And we went wandering back into the barracks, stunned. I sat there and read this thing, and it said, the Signal Corps forever, with its pliers and its soldering iron, the Signal Corps forever will go on and on and on. Men of valor, climbing all them poles, stringing all that wire, making all them splices. Signal Corps forever, dot and dash is our code. Ever, ever, and... Oh, my God, what a clinker. I'm going to sing about my wiring. I'm going to sing about my, my trusty wire cutters. You know how to how they well all of the, all the serv now you think I'm kidding all the services sing about what it is they use 
the Air Corps song sings about planes, right? The roar of our motors, off we go, into the wild billion, third rising high. Into the sky. They don't sing about the mess hall. They don't sing about the barracks. They sing about their planes, right? So when you hear the artillery song, they sing when the caissons go rolling along. They're singing about, you know, cannons and caissons. They're not singing about mail call. So what are we singing about? The single car wire cutters and soldering irons. Can you imagine singing? Oh, I got my trusty soldering iron over there. I'm going to carry on for the good old signal car. I will plunge it forward and I'll... My life, and Gasser sat opposite me on his bunk. His face is kind of green. Well, for the next hour and a half, we learned the words, to quote the signal corps sergeant. We didn't, we thought it was come some kind of gag, you know. We, nobody took it seriously at first. Until 1300, the whistle started to blow, and the 3162nd Signal Air Warning Battalion. The 23rd Signal Air Warning Regiment, Company K, P, D, L, M, and G, fell out into Company Formation Field in full Class A uniforms. And every officer in the regiment was out there in his pinks. You know what is it, pinks? That's the officers. You know, that's the put-down uniform. That groovy, you know. All cut and sharp, man. I want to tell you, we're all out there standing in the hot sun. And there had been set up a podium, kind of like a little tower. And on the tower was the first lieutenant general I ever saw in the flesh. I could see those three stars glinting on each shoulder. Stars. Wouldn't you like to have a couple of stars on your shoulder? Wouldn't it be great if, if, uh, if here at the, uh, you know, if, if the company you worked in started to issue badges of rank. You know? And they had separate water coolers for the enlisted men, and, you know, and for the good guys. <laughs> well, that's the way it is, the Army. You know, you, you, you can't fake it. When you're, when you're sitting on your bunk and you got one lousy little stinking cloth stripe on your sleeve, there ain't nobody going to listen to you. No matter how pompous you get. You know, you can sit there, well, I'll tell you. You know, I'll tell you where they're, where they're making a mistake in the international situation. They should start out with a vast pincers movement. And it just doesn't come off when you've got one little stripe on your fatigue suit. It doesn't work. And uh, by the way, I, 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 to, to add a little to that, there is a guy right now who is a famous news commentator. I will not tell you his name. You ready for this? who briefly, when I was a yard bird in the Army, was in my outfit, very briefly, for three days. I was one stripe over him. When this guy was discharged, they gave him an honorary PFC. He got his stripe when he left. He was a private for three... Now he's advising the president. But they never mentioned what his rank was. <laughs> yes! He's on TV all the time making editorials about how the president is lousing up in a military situation. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. You know, I say, Mike, you know, wouldn't it be terrible if everybody was forced to come on in public one day with their actual rank on? It would be very embarrassing. Well, 
Here we are, standing out in the hot sun, about to have... Oh, it's, it's so painful, I, I, I can't even... I can't even really come out and say it, because uh, I'm sure that a lot of the people who were there that afternoon are listening, and I'm sure that a lot of the guys who were around Fort Monmouth are still around there, you know? Because it was such a terrible moment. Here we are, all out there in, in Class A uniform, you know, all dressed up. Give me a little of that uh, Army type music there, please, with the yellow, uh, with the yellow, uh, that's it. Uh, give me that, uh, uh, you know, that's the one we want. And way off in the distance, they had assembled the post band, and this is what was even more embarrassing about it. The post band at that period was directed by a guy who later went on to become a famous conductor of one of the greatest classical symphony orchestras in America. He's a famous man now. And here he is, way down at the other end of the field, see? And I see he's got on his warrant officer's suit, and he is, he's conducting the Fort Monmouth Post Band. You can hear him faintly, see? Way down there, see? They play the opening lines. It's a gala event. The signal corps flag is floating high, way up there on that flagpole. I bet not one of you could tell me what the signal corps colors are, even. They have colors. Of course, they don't have the colors that they should have. When I think of what the, you know, the proper color. No, oh, yeah, there were always guys sitting around, you know, that if, if, if services were given the color that they deserve for their uniform, what color the signal corps would get, there was no doubt. And so that band is down there at the end of the field playing, and our great signal corps flag is floating high on that, that impressive podium about 250 feet across. Come on, bring it up, Marty. That's it. Bring it up. Beautiful. And all up and down the regiment, you can hear these voices going, Attention! 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 It's a very impressive moment. Then the band slowly faded out as the conductor waved them to a halt. Way up on this platform was this lieutenant general. Now, I'm telling you, I'm listening to a lieutenant general. I didn't know they had actual voices, you know, like people. And this lieutenant general was standing up there, and he says, I can still remember the speech. Just a slight echo chamber, Marty. Fellow soldiers... Of the U.S. Army Signal Corps. What a joke. Fellow soldiers of the U.S. Army Signal Corps. There I am standing with my brand new corporal stripes. Next to me was Gasser wearing his T5 stripes. And ahead of me was Chris Metropolis with his brand new PFC stripe. After two years in the Army, he made PFC finally. And up there is this lieutenant general addressing us. Fellow soldiers of the U.S. Army Signal Corps. It is my honor today to preside at a ceremony that will remain forever enshrined in the hearts of all single corps men of the future and of today and for all time. For the first time, the U.S. Army single corps song will be performed by single corps men. For the first time, the song, The Signal Corps Forever, written by my wife, will be sung by soldiers in the field. 
This is a historic occasion, and I am honored to be present at the first performance. And now, fellow soldiers of the U.S. Army Signal Corps, let us all unite and sing together our morale song that will be sung by Signal Corps men wherever they gather for all time. And off in the distance, the band started to play the most banal tune you ever heard. It sounded a little bit like Mary Had a Little Lamb. And the entire regiment started to mumble the song. Off we go with the signal car, carrying our wire cutters and our soldering irons. We will climb them poles with a will. Signal car, signal car forever. And then the big chorus came. Dot, 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 dash is our code. Dot, dot, dash, we will sing with a will. We will climb them poles and string the wire. The signal corps will be in the van forever. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, a terrible song. And the general stood up there with the flags blowing. And his wife stood next to him with a big baton. She was directing us. It was one of the few times in my life that I have known true humiliation. A complete embarrassment. Have you ever been at a show in a, in a hall someplace where the performer was laying an unbelievable egg and you were sitting there watching him and you felt so embarrassed for him that you didn't know what to do? Well, the general is up there looking proud his three stars are glistening in the beautiful Jersey sunlight. His wife, with her uh, flowered print dress and her baton, is directing the 3162nd Signal Air Warning Battalion and the 27th Signal Regiment in the first song fest of the brilliant performance of the first time that the unforgettable Signal Corps song, which will be sung by Signal Corps men whenever they gather together in future times, will always be sung when they're in their cups, and they start to getting sentimental about the 15th Signal Corps training regiment at the New Jersey. Little did I realize that I was witnessing and tasting for the first time New Jersey lunacy. Only in New Jersey could this have happened. A Signal Corps general in Arkansas would never have thought of this. No, a man who came out of the state that produced the flagship, that produced the leaning tower of pizza, that produced uh, Route 22, that produced Pat Boone's hamburger heaven. Only a man of Jersey can understand true Jersey lunacy. And so tonight, wherever you might be, Jerseyites, we salute you. It ain't everybody that lives in Wonderland. It ain't everybody that lives in Oz. So... Over the weekend, try thinking at least one clean thought. Try it. It might be a good, you know, something just a try for kicks. <laughs> oh, Jersey, we love you. Bring it up, Marty. Come on, man.